All of God's people said, praise the Lord. Thank you, Tan. Welcome to Apostles. We're glad to have you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want you to know right at the outset, this sixth beatitude caused me an enormous heartache as a young Christian. It really did. Because I took pure in heart to mean sinlessness. I also was very familiar growing up with something called the holiness movement. This is, of course, a million years ago. It started in Canada, but it spread all over the world, and I was very acquainted with these folks. They're wonderful people. But they also taught that holiness is an experience that you have to have or you have to experience after you being born again. It's like a second blessing or the second stage in your salvation. Uh, they taught that when you have that holiness experience, you can say with the Apostle Paul, I have crucified the flesh. You're done with sin. And my goodness gracious me, I must confess to you that during my late teen years, when I was a new Christian, I prayed to receive that holiness blessing. After all, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in hearts, for they shall see God. Well, I, I, want to, I want to experience that because I really also want to see God. I don't need to disclose to you all the levels of torment that this wrong understanding created in me. I've reached a point of despair. So what does purity of heart and seeing God, what is that all about? But before I answer that question, I'll bring up to speed those of you who have not followed up with us on this series of messages. Happiness is in you. And as I've been saying, that this is a superstructure that our Lord Jesus Christ gave us step by step by step. Because true happiness begins when you're broken in spirit. And looks so inconsistent, doesn't it? How can you be broken in spirit, but you really have true joy and true happiness? But this is the beginning. This is the first step in the superstructure and is designed to take you from being poor in spirit to broken in spirit to mourning over your sin to meekness, which is power under control, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to becoming like our Jesus, merciful, and then you get to the point of being pure in heart. Turn with me if you haven't already. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. We're doing one verse at a time. Blessed, happy, joyous, in Greek, makarios, are all who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. In reality, let me confess to you up front, this sixth beatitude 
actually <laughs> encompasses the entire Bible from Genesis to Maps. This one beatitude, <laughs> in reality, this one step is as vast as the Bible itself is vast. This sixth beatitude is what the Christian faith is all about. So I hope you brought your lunch with you. <laughs> We're going to cover the Bible. No, no, I don't want to panic. Don't panic. But the first thing I need to tell you about the purity of heart, and the fact is, it does not mean sinlessness. Can I get an amen? Purity in heart does not mean sinlessness, as I have misunderstood it. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. I'm going to explain it to you from the Scripture, not my opinion, because it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> in fact, this misunderstanding, meaning that purity of heart means sinlessness, really created what is known as the monastic movement. You know, the term monastery? That's where the monastic movement comes from. This beatitude created that movement, created the building of monastery and nunnery all over the world. It began by an Egyptian, believe it or not. It really did. I'm serious. <laughs> in the 500s, there was a man in Egypt by the name of Antonios, and he happened to be a very wealthy man. And when he came across this purity of heart to see God, he said, I know what to do. I get out of this world. I go into the desert. I'll build a monastery, and there I spend the remaining days of my life because that's what's going to give me purity in heart. That's how all these monasteries started, because thinking it means you get away from the world and you become sinless. Of course, this monastic movement, as I said, started in the Orthodox Church in Egypt and then spread later on in Rome and the Roman Catholics and many other denominations. Simply put, these people thought that if they go into a remote place away from the world, they will be pure in heart. They will not experience sin. <laughs> but as we know from the great monk, the reformer, Martin Luther, that did not work and never worked. <laughs> Some years ago, I remember clearly a story about a, a businessman in the United States who was just tired of the rat race. I mean, he got so tired of the rat race, he wanted to get out. And so he did. He actually gave up everything and went to a monastery in a special order called the Silence Order, where you do not speak at all. Only you're allowed to have two words a year, and that's it. For the rest of the year, you can't speak. And so after the first year, he was invited before the abbot and all the hierarchy in the monastery to have his two words. So he said, more food. And he went back. Another year has passed. And they brought him back a second time, second year, just if you're counting, to give his two words. He said, more water. And so the third year passed with 
if you're counting, three years. He only says four words in three years. The, uh, 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 and, and then he, they invited him on his 30. By that time, he had enough. He just had enough. And he really couldn't take it anymore. This is crazy. This is nuts. What did I do? Why did I do this? And so they bring him in on his third year, and he kind of blows up in front of the abbot and all his assistants, and he said, I'm getting out of here. I asked for more food. I didn't get it. I asked for more water. I didn't get it. I've had enough. I'm out of here. And as he was leaving, the abbot looks at his assistant, and he said, what's wrong with him? He did nothing but complain the whole time since he got here. <laughs> now, there are some people I think I like to send to that monastery. Escaping the world will not make you pure in heart. And before I tell you why purity in heart does not mean sinlessness, I need to give you a biblical definition of the heart. Believe it or not, there are a lot of people get those confused. What is that heart the Bible talks about? By the way, last week I was talking about the cardiologists and the, uh, and the, and the, and the heart surgeons, and I got some interesting comments from my friends who are both. <laughs> um, I love them. But when the Bible speaks about the heart, it does not speak about that vital organ on your left side of your chest that is pumping blood all over your body. For if you read the Scripture very carefully, you're going to find that the word heart is used in a variety of ways. In John chapter 14, you remember Jesus said, "'Let not your heart be troubled.'" meaning that the heart is the center of the emotions. In Mark chapter 2, verse 8, Jesus asked the Pharisees, why do you question thus in your hearts, indicating that the heart is the center of the intellect? In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Daniel purposed in his heart, <laughs> which tells us that the heart is the seat of the will and the decision-making process. So, when the Bible speaks about the heart, it means uh, that the heart is the master control switch of you and me. It means that the heart is the command center of all of our life, that the heart is the totality of your being and my being, that the heart is all inclusive soul, spirit, mind, and body. And that is why Proverbs 4, 23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence from, from it flows the spring of life. And that is why David could put his famous confession in Psalm 51, saying, create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Jeremiah said in 17, 9 and 10, he says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus in Matthew 15, 19 said, for out of the heart, that is from that master control, from that command center, um, 
comes all sorts of evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornication and theft and false witness, slanders, and all things that defile the person. Not from the outside, but from the inside. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were so meticulous on cleaning of the outside, but they left the inside in a total mess. They were masters. These religious folks were masters in making sure that they observed the rituals to the minutest details, but inwardly they were filled with all sorts of junk. Now that you've got this under your belt, now that you know what the heart is all about, now that you understand what the Bible means by the heart, I can talk about purity. The Greek word that is used here for purity of heart, katharsos, from which we get the word katharsis, which means to cleanse or to empty or to make pure. When psychologists use this word, uh, they mean going through an emotion, on an emotional level anyway, that a person needs cleansing from destructive attitudes. But also the Bible gives us a second meaning for that word catharsis. It means unmixed. It means unadulterated. Now listen to me. <laughs> Those of us who grew up in third world countries know, now this is again, maybe not now, but it was in my, when I was young, uh, that the milkman always added water to his milk to increase his profit margin. <laughs> I remember a missionary one time said to the milkman, he said, look, if you want to add water, just get it from the tap. You don't have to stop at the lake and get it out of there, <laughs> the dirty water. But this is, when that milk is like that, it's, it's not unadulterated. In Acts 15, 9, it tells us that there is a spiritual catharsis that cleanses the heart. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it tells us that Jesus cleanses us from all sins. And so, what is this catharsis? What is that cleansing is all about? When this cleansing or when this purity takes place, we will have purity of motive. We will have purity of purpose. We will have purity. We will have undivided minds. We will have spiritual integrity. It means living by God's standards, not the world's system. Uh, not like as some people do, they think they live by God's standard on Sunday, but then for the rest of the week they can work, they can live by the world's standards, by the world's system. The Bible is saying that purity of heart is the exact opposite of duplicity. Are you with me? Purity of heart is the exact opposite of double-mindedness. Purity of heart is the exact opposite of double talk. The purity of heart is the exact opposite of pragmatism. The purity of heart is the exact opposite of a divided heart. It means it's all-encompassing. Listen to me. Compromise in politics is a good thing, but not when it comes to the truth of the Word of God. 
And my beloved friends, that's what we must desperately need for ourselves and to pass on to the next generation. Let me give you an illustration of how we can miss generation to the next. The Chinese, the ancient, the ancient Chinese were tired of the invasions, constant invasions from what they call the hordes, the barbarian hordes from the north. That's how they referred to them. They were tired of it. They were exhausted of defending themselves, so finally they decided they're going to build a huge wall. You heard about the Wall of China? <laughs> Have you? That is what they did. They built a huge wall. It was so high, nobody can climb it. It was, it was so thick, nobody can penetrate it. And then they sat back and they said, now we can enjoy security. Well, they did for a little while. But after that, they got invaded by the so-called hordes from the north three times. Three times after that. Not one of those times ever uh, climbed that wall. Not one of those three times did they ever penetrate the wall or broke into the wall. No, 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 no. Every one of those three invasions took place as a result of bribing the gatekeepers. <laughs> they were so busy building a wall, they forgot to teach ethics and morality to the next generations. They were busy building a wall. They forgot to teach integrity to the next generation. Beloved, listen to me. I know some of you might not like this, but my generation, my generation, the baby boomers, we have been so anxious to give our children the best of education and a great college degree that we failed to realize that in some cases, not in all cases, I thank God for the good ones, in some cases they were taught by barbarians with a Ph.D. God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Another word for purity is integrity, or, or, or united. Everything inside of you is united together in heart, soul, and body, that all of your personality is integrated. Having a single purpose, not going all over the map, <laughs> dogged determination to place God all of the time at the forefront that is why purity of heart is not sinlessness. It's not sinlessness. Why? Because Jesus himself taught us in the Lord's Prayer. He said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The Apostle John in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, he said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we what? confess. <laughs> if we confess, that is catharsis. <laughs> if we confess and are cleansed, He forgives us 
all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Purity of heart is like the person, and I know this experientially, trust me, that he cannot eat, cannot sleep, cannot minister, cannot do anything if he or she has an unconfessed sin. That's what purity of heart means. And that is why James, the brother of Jesus, in chapter 4, verse 8, he said, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Uh-oh. So, purity of heart is the opposite of being double-minded. <laughs> Double-mindedness is the antithesis of purity of heart. A life of compromise with sin or rationalizing of sin is the opposite of purity in heart. But there's something else about purity of heart I need to tell you, you need to know. And that is, purity of heart is a whole lot more than sincerity. Are you with me? There are some people who are very sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. Somebody said, the road to hell is paved with sincerity. The prophets of Baal, when they were confronted by the prophet Elijah on Mount Carmel, all oh, they were very sincere. They were very sincere. They sincerely cried out to Baal. Uh, they sincerely were cutting their skin. They sincerely tortured themselves. They sincerely brutalized themselves. They sincerely begged Baal to hear them and have pity on them and send fire. But sincerity did not help them one bit. And that is why head Christianity only, head Christianity only will not produce purity of heart. Can I get an amen at least to know you're listening? Hand Christianity will not produce purity of heart. I'm talking about hand Christianity only. Only the totality of our being, it is so integrated, which the Bible calls purity of heart. When you're totally united in loving and giving and serving, purity of heart is created. Just in case someone does not still understand what integrity is all about, let me explain it this way. The people on Radio Land are going to have a hard time with this, but you can see it, okay? Here is what you profess to believe with your words. You profess to believe. Imagine my hand with all five fingers. <laughs> this is what you profess. The other hand is how you live, is how you behave, is how you conduct business, is how you do things. And when the two are integrated, they will lock hands just like that. That's what integrity is. It's the integration of what you claim to believe with how you live. Completely integrated. Heart, soul, body, mind, all integrated. Like a hand in a glove. A hand in a glove is very integrated with the glove. Or like a spoke in the wheel. It's highly integrated with the hub. 
Or it's like the story that I heard many, many years ago when I was living in California. Back in the 70s, I have never forgotten it. It was a midweek prayer meeting. And at this midweek prayer meeting, there was a deacon who always prayed the same prayer. Week after week after week, he prayed the same prayer. Lord, clean the cobwebs out of my life. Lord, clean the cobwebs of my life. And he says this week after week, finally, a neighbor of his who knows what a rascal that deacon is, <laughs> as, as soon as he prayed, Lord, clean the cobwebs out of my life, the other guys wept, uh, leapt up and he said, Lord, don't hear him. Don't listen to him, Lord. Tell him to kill the spider. You can't keep the spider living and want the cobwebs cleaned. You have to kill the spider. Blessed, happy are the pure of hearts. Now, he is not talking about primal purity. You know, primal purity only exists in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy, in the Trinity. Primal purity only exists in the Godhead. But he is talking about both positional purity and daily purity. I need to explain that. Positional purity and daily purity. Positional purity is what every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ receives when he or she becomes born again. God gives us that gift positionally from that moment that you give your life to Christ, God the Father looks at you through the prism of the Lord Jesus Christ, His merits, His righteousness, and therefore He sees you perfectly righteous without blemish. This purity of heart is a gift of God. You cannot earn it. You cannot, if you have billions of dollars, you cannot, uh, you, you cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. Without that purity of heart, no one is going to heaven. But just before you start stoning me to death and think I'm preaching hyper-grace, you know, if those of you don't know what hyper-grace is, it's very, very common among Reformed uh, preachers. Uh, not many, thank God, but there are some who say, once you're saved, you become pure in heart, God sees you as perfect, you can live like the devil. <laughs> No, no, I'm not teaching that at all, trust me. Because there is another purity of heart, and it's the daily, the daily catharsis, the daily cleansing, the daily, daily purifying. This daily purity depends on our cooperating with God 100%. Paul puts it this way, listen carefully, I'm throwing a lot of verses which I don't normally do, but this is important. Maybe I, I want to get you so overwhelmed so you can go back and listen to it online. Okay? Well, this is a method in my madness. But without these texts, you will not understand what I'm trying to say. As I said, this is the whole Bible in that, in that one verse. 2 Corinthians 7.1, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves or Keep on purifying ourselves from everything that 
contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness. Why? Out of reverence for God. I am so overwhelmed by His gift and His salvation, eternally saved, that I will purify myself, cleanse myself on a daily basis, confess on a daily basis out of reverence for God. Listen to how Peter put it in 1 Peter 1.14. As obedient children, don't conform, do not conform to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you continuously. Here it is again, continuously. It's a daily cleansing. Be holy yourselves also in your behavior. Positional purity and daily purity must go together. Blessed, happy, makarios are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Question, how are the pure in heart see God? In five different ways. Are you listening? Say amen. I think I lost some of you. This thing about bringing lunch with you kind of got you. <laughs> well, five different ways the pure in heart see God. First of all, we see Him through the eyes of faith, not through sight. Only faith will enable you to see God. And of course, we're going to see Him as He is, not through just faith, but in real, with our own eyes. Secondly, the pure of heart, in heart will see God in His magnificent creation as we Tan sang about just a few minutes ago. The psalmist said, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. This world, messed up as it is, still God's creation. This world, still His handiwork. His signature is everywhere you look. His fingerprints are all over the galaxies. His footprints are all over the oceans and the rivers and the mountains and the sunrise. There's a third way for the believer, the pure in heart, see God. And that is in all circumstances. Can you say all? All circumstances. Michael. You mean to tell me I think I can see God when I'm experiencing inexplicable circumstances? Yeah. When I'm in pain? Yeah. When I'm in a situation which is so un unjust and unfair? Yeah. God, I don't understand what I'm going through but I can see your hand guiding me because I believe that in all things God cooperates them together for the good and for His glory. There's a fourth way for the pure in heart is His God, and that's in His Word. That is why I emphasized you over and over and over and over again. Do not neglect the Word of God. You see that in all events in history, even the ones that really frustrate, I mean, telling you, we, those of you going through the daily Bible, you know, and Isa did this, and Isa did this, and he followed the uh, sin of his father, and he said, you, you can say, God, what an incredibly patient God you are. 
in all the events. He's in control of history. In everything, He's shaping history for His purpose. And we see above all in His Word that He always, 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 always keeps His promises. He promised Abraham his children will inherit the promised land. Four hundred years later, they did. He promised Daniel that the Messiah will come. Four hundred years later, he showed up. He gave Isaiah a promise of the birth of Jesus and all the details of his life and the death and the resurrection. Seven hundred years later, he did. Fifthly, the pure in heart will see God in the person of His Son, Jesus, our beloved Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, people could not see God and live. Moses wanted to. He said, show me your glory. But when God showed up, he, he hid him in a cave. He couldn't look. But well, we can look at Jesus and see the glory of the Father and see the pers purpose, person of the Father, because He revealed Himself fully only in Jesus Christ. Not in religion, not in political, not in, in religious systems, not in denominations, not in all the religion stuff, no, no, only in Jesus. And not only that we see Him in Jesus, but we're going to see Jesus for all of eternity. We'll be spending time with Jesus. Let me ask you a question as I conclude. Please, please focus with me. Are you able to see God? Are you able to see God? Are you able to see God? In the midst of life's difficulties and challenges and pain, are you able to see God? Are you able to see God in the times of pain and suffering and grief? If not, why not? Why not? Could it be that your life is not integrated in obedience of Him? Could it be that your life is not united in the fear of the Lord? Could it be that your life is inconsistent and out of whack? Could it be that you are living a life that's all over the map? The old preacher said, the Apostle Paul said, one thing I do, he said, the Today's preachers say here, 20,000 things I dabble in. Could it be that your life is not moving in a direction and in one direction, but in too many directions at the same time? Here's the good news. Always leave you with good news. Always leave you with good news. The Holy Spirit of God can transform us today. The Holy Spirit of God can unite our entire being, the Holy Spirit of God can purify and integrate our heart, our minds, our head, our hands, all together moving in one direction. Can I get an amen? amen. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus, having lived that way, without integration in my life. I thank you. I thank you that you are forever guiding me as I seek you with all of my heart to be united 
in the fear of you. Father, out of reverence for God, help us. Help every one of us. And Father, among us the weak, among us the strong, among us the one in between. Father, I pray you know every heart better than we know our own hearts. So we ask you in the name of Jesus. With confidence. Not with divided hearts or divided mind, but with confidence. To unite us. Unite our minds and our hearts, our thoughts, our actions, everything we're about to one thing and one thing only, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness because we know your promise. The rest of that promise is that you're going to take care of all the details of life. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and bless the Lord.